The Athletic. Totally Football Show Year End 2022 with Premier League festive fixtures. Last Christmas I gave you my heart, but the very next day you lost to United away. A Forest fan tells his sad tale. Also, Home Alone. Nathan Jones, the real story, Newcastle success, the how and why I, Pep's sideline liquid football, and Venga Vidi Vici. It's all coming up in this Totally Vobble show. Thursday, 29th of December, listener. On board today, we've got Lindsay Hooper. Hello, Lindsay. Hello. Daniel Story is back as well. Hello, Daniel. Hi, James. As is Adrian Clark, All right, Clarky. Hello, James. Hello, everyone. Hello. We're here to talk some Premier League for you. Hope you had a nice Christmas and that. Premier League, Boxing Day making a typically quite understated return. 29 goals, in fact, across the, the 10 games so far. Like 1963 all over again, sort of. But it was very reassuring. Daniel, I like your tweet where you said something very reassuring about the Premier League returning after six weeks away and Leicester City conceding head by an unmarked player from a corner within 35 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I should say, for balance, to be followed sort of roughly 24 hours later with a reply from a Leicester City fan saying, and Forrest not being very good away from home Oof. and not scoring Ooh, away from yeah. home, which is totally fair. Oh, all right. Well, you know, there's been a lot a lot of games played. What, 10 since the restart? We've got another 10 around the corner. Chances are slim, listener, to be frank, that we'll even mention your team. But let's check the scores anyway. Arsenal continued their best ever start with a 3-1 win over West Ham. Man City, though, keeping base on Wednesday night, winning by the same margin at Leeds, with son of Leeds Erling Haaland setting another record. Haaland, Freelish, Haaland! Three! Smooth simplicity! Elsewhere, there were 3-0 wins for Man United with Forest, Newcastle away at Leicester, and for Fulham at Crystal Palace, who had two of their numbers sent off. Tompkins gets a second yellow and will have to go. He's seen that Mitrovic is going to run in behind and put his arm up. It was 2-0 for Chelsea against Bournemouth, 3-1 for Liverpool at Villa and for Brighton at Saints, while Wolves got the Lopetegui reign underway with a come-from-behind 2-1 victory at Everton. Costa's arriving, couldn't quite get there. Aynori in front of goal! What a huge goal for Wolves! On the way from Friday night... We've got games every day for a week. Well, three of the big questions after the World Cup, which was a big tournament ages ago someplace out east, were would Chelsea get back on track after their extended break? How far could Newcastle and Almiron's incredible form take them? And for Arsenal, would Jesus' knees in pieces mean their title challenge ceases? The answer to that was not so much. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Yes, Arsenal 3, West Ham 1. Fine Gunners victory, watched by an Arsenal legend for the first time back since he was rudely forced out. I'm talking about Arsene Wenger, Adrian, but you were there too. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, I was rudely forced out by Mister Monsieur Wenger as well. I remember it clearly. It's what made him great. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was lovely to have him back there. It was an actual goosebumps moment when mm. his his picture popped up on the screen after the second goal, and just the whole stadium just sort of went on an impromptu. There's only one Arsene Wenger. And the cry is, there's only one Arsene Wenger. Presumably here, with the blessing of Mikel Arteta, his one-time captain. For around a minute or so, and it was it was a really special, special moment. Very, very loud. And I'd imagine for him, it must have been very, very heartwarming because he needed to put that distance between himself and the club, didn't he, to get over... The grief, I, I guess, of of parting company, he felt ready to come back. And uh, yeah, it felt, it felt quite symbolic, I think, 
uh, for him to be there on that night. At 1-0 down though, Adrian, it was in the balance. Yeah. They might not have done that close up. <laughs> it did feel, it did, I was aware that he was there uh, prior to his image going onto the screen. And yes, my thoughts were, oh no, I hope Arsenal hasn't jinxed it. <laughs> I think a lot of Arsenal fans were, were probably feeling the same online that, that that were aware of his presence. But yeah, no, that was it was a really, really special moment. And I think he would have approved of the performance, James. It was very Wenger-esque, some lovely fluid football, young players at the, at the heart of everything good that the team did. So yeah, I, th- I think he'd have enjoyed his night out. All we need now is Wenger to go to every single Arsenal game and stop working for FIFA and coming up with all his <laughs> crazy ideas. And everything sorted. Oh, certainly all good vibes at the Emirates for the moment. And how concerned were you, Adrian, ahead of this game about the impact of the of the, of the break in, in the Championship and above all, the impact of Gabriel Jesus from the team? Yeah, I think I'd be lying if I said I wasn't slightly nervous about it. I think all Arsenal fans were and maybe still are to, to a degree because he's such an important player. He's been seven, eight, nine out of ten in pretty much every game this season, Jesus. The trigger for so much good football. But but Eddie Nketa came in and did a brilliant job, I've got to say. He looked like Gabriel Jesus in the way that he played, with his energy, the way he closed people down, his movement. The goal was an absolute beauty, wasn't it? The way he rolled the defender, Kera, to slot it into the bottom corner. But even if he hadn't have scored that goal, I think Eddie Nketiah would have... Um, would have drawn a lot of praise from Arsenal fans because he, he looked really sharp. Overall, I was seriously impressed because, well, it's a long time since anyone was back in action. But it's a long time since Arsenal were playing fluid, winning football, and they got straight back at it. It was really smooth, lovely combinations. Saka, Martinelli, and especially Erdegaard were all purring on the night as well. So, um, yeah, it was unexpectedly... Happy evening. I think a lot of people went into it edgy, but we came away with with smiles on our faces. Um, Long may that continue. To throw back to the World Cup a little bit, if I must, the way that Erdegaard played there reminded me of Griezmann for France in that because France had Mbappé and Dembele and Arsenal have Saka and Martinelli, really they're kind of pushing on the fullbacks. It creates this space in midfield and Erdegaard just goes wherever he wants and it seems like wherever the ball ends up being, Erdegaard was there a second before it. He, he was just everywhere. And that is a result. That's not just down to him. That's a result of the space that Arsenal are managing to create for him. Unlike for his country, I feel when he plays for Arsenal, he turns into this show pony. He doesn't even look, these no-look passes that he creates. He just knows where everyone is. And to see that in the first game back, when there had been this break for the World Cup, I don't know, I think that sends a statement to the rest of the league that that Arsenal are definitely in this title race. Because I think there were question marks before the break, only 14 games gone, people are still wondering. But now I think they know that they really are. And yet Odegaard has been key to that I love some of his passes some of his intelligence on the ball even more so than the fact that he he doesn't mind having a shot at goal nowadays either yeah well he had six in the game and I think it's as much about his industry as it is about his skill actually at times he is the the modern number 10 and the modern number 10 has to graft and they have to make tackles and win the ball back and and he set the tone I think him and and Ketia both sort of draw defenders into the into sort of pockets, which allow space for Saka and Martinelli to to then go and fly in behind. Um, they've got a good thing going, Arsenal, at the moment. And uh, yeah, 40 points after 15 games is scarcely believable, really. Odegaard, both a workhorse and a show, show pony for you then. <laughs> yes. Adrian. Nice. Well, the, the Gunners, who, yeah, they do kind of look in the title race, five points clear, but they've got... Brighton coming up this weekend, and then on Tuesday, a clash with Newcastle, which could prove telling. Of course, it's in a month or so that they, they finally get to have that match with uh, Man City. West Ham, though, how much trouble are they in? They've got Brentford coming up on Friday. They lost four Premier League games in a row. Declan Rice is playing like he'd already made a summer move to Man United or something. <laughs> yeah. They were too reactionary, weren't they? I, I mean, they started brightly. They obviously got that goal to go in front, but it was as if they were waiting for the waves of attack from Arsenal and to just react to them. And that is just not something that's going to work out or, or pan out well. I felt like just that a few little things were off 
a bit of rustiness, I think, certainly in defence. I don't think the high line was working. They were trying to get a couple of offsides. And and the thing is, when you play a team that like to bomb on like Arsenal do, you've got to be really disciplined at that. And they, and they just weren't. They spent about £160 million in the summer at West Ham. And they look a worse team than last season. And the question with Moyes, I think, was always, it was almost a little bit like Eddie Howe at Bournemouth, where he needed the money to spend, but you weren't quite sure whether spending money on a David Moyes team was actually going to make it better because what he likes to have is this kind of close-knit group and they were half knackered by the end of last season. But say they spent £160 million. It doesn't look very good. Paqueta is becoming a real worry for them because Moyes clearly doesn't want to use him in that in the role that Brazil did as one of two midfielders and kind of having running from deep. So he plays at this number 10. He's just struggling to get on the ball and and make an impact in the final third. And Skamaka's now injured for a bit. Aguerd is came out of the World Cup with an injury. He's already been injured. Maxwell Corney had an injury. Hilo Kerr has not really played brilliantly. Flynn Downs has been in and out of the team. That's all their summer signings. And you would struggle to say that one of them has really worked out so far. I don't think they'll go down, but I think Moyes is probably in a little bit of trouble, yeah. Mm-hmm. One point above the drop with certainly at least one of the sides in the bottom three below them showing signs of enormous vitality. We'll talk about them a little bit later on, Lindsay. It's Wolves, everyone. Yeah. But for the Gunners, so, yeah, Newcastle on Tuesday, Brighton coming up this Saturday, which should be a a scintillating and and stylish uh, soccer showpiece. What do you say, Adrian? (laughs) Yeah, it should be. Uh, Brighton have been a bit of a bogey team for Arsenal since they came into the Premier League, so nobody within that squad will be taking the match lightly. I think they'll, they'll see this as, as a real tough test. Well, Brighton have won four of their last five in all competitions, including a visit to the Emirates in early November, which they won 3-1 in the Carabao Cup. They did, and they were impressive, and they deserved to win that game. And deserve, I like Deserby, I like his style of football. They'll be proactive, they'll go for the win, and they'll ask questions of Arsenal's defence and, and, and resilience weren't they in the game so yeah, it should be it should be a really really good match and I think Arsenal will need to play excellently to beat them as they will Newcastle United who continue to look just really solid and incredibly dangerous going forward largely with the same group of players that Steve Bruce had in the bottom three it's it's bonkers really well yeah Newcastle who popped into the top two midweek before Man City had their victory away at Leeds. As I say, that was one of the questions. How much would the break have interrupted their momentum? And the answer equally there is seemed to be not at all this week. Yeah, and if, if it doesn't interrupt their momentum, then everyone else has a problem because Newcastle have, I think, six of the top seven, current top seven in the Premier League were the six clubs who had the most minutes at the World Cup, so most minutes in the legs of their players. The massive exception is Newcastle, who I think are 19th in that table. They had something like 390 minutes from all their players at the World Cup combined. And obviously players, you know, the stars at the moment, Sven Botman, uh, Miguel Almiron, they weren't there, even there at the World Cup. But So, yeah, it was just Kieran Trippi who started a couple of games, Fabian Scher started one, and that was it at Newcastle at the World Cup. So if they've had a break and they are able to carry on as exactly where they'd left off, then the run will continue. I think they can beat Arsenal. I do. I just think they're, they're completely on a different plane than they've been on for the last decade, partly because of the ownership and partly because of the, the kind of morale that Eddie Howe's instilled. Mm. So they're, they're more rested than, than any of the other top teams in, in, in the table. By a distance, yeah. They've also not got Europe to worry about. Where, where do you think they're going to end up this season, Daniel? Make a bold prediction. My bold prediction would be fourth, and I think that still is a bold prediction because of the clubs stacking up behind them, you know. But yeah, there's no reason why not. They're in better form than anyone. They've won eight and drawn one of the last nine games and they've played some decent teams. They've lost one league game this season and it was in the fifth or sixth minute of stoppage time or later at Anfield. So they've drawn with Manchester City and and outplayed them for most of that game. So yeah, there's no reason why not. How long do we say that a purple patch goes on for? Because Almiron, either side of the World Cup, because he picked up, does that mean it's no longer a purple patch? But you look at some of the players that Eddie Howe has got a real tune out of. Joel Linton, I'm in absolute shock that he's managing to get this player to to be so active in games, in the link-up play. 
I know that his work rate has always been there, but he was one of my least favourite players to watch in the Premier League. I just thought he he was just not up to it. And suddenly under Eddie Howe, he looks completely different. In fact, balls are being played in off him. He's holding the ball up so brilliantly. But I would still argue that they are purple patches. I still would argue, yeah, I still think what happens when they dip off because you're relying on Eddie Howe getting the absolute maximum out of all of all of those players and some of them, let's face it, we don't think are at the same level as as some of the others in the team. And I think that's a hard thing to maintain over the course of a whole season. So January and whatever business can be done, that's going to be key to where Newcastle finish if they get Champions League football, I think. Yeah, that, that new transfer window is a really interesting one because you can, you can see how whatever happens can be used as either a a kind of stick to beat them with or or as proof of why they carried on doing so well because they've obviously got the money to spend and there are gaps in that squad. John Joe Shelby's got a, an injury which means that there's talk of buying another central midfielder but if you're already how you might also think well things are going pretty well at the moment do I want to risk upsetting anything by bringing in more players? It feels like a place where new signings come in and immediately flourish. Bruno Guimaraes the obvious example of that but there is a kind of nagging doubt at the back of your mind about maybe we should just let this roll and see what happens with what we've got. Bruno Gomarish with that, was it the second goal that he did that gorgeous little drag back and then spin to find himself some room and then he started a move which saw, it was just, I think it was the goal of, of the round. I mean, there's some, some beautiful goals, not least the Enketia one, but just the way that, and that ended up with Almiron getting his ninth goal in, in, in 16 matches. Adrian, what, what do you think? Newcastle? I thought I thought that was a superb goal. I agree. I have to say that there was the parting of the ways between Voutfish and uh, Daniel Amati. They had really, really poor games at the heart of Leicester City's defence. But yeah, the way that he sort of skipped inside and 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 latched onto that return pass was so confident, wasn't it? It was. He, he was just absolutely skipping. And I think you can look around that team and you see a real drive and energy and you see a team that's got momentum. They look a little bit like Arsenal. When I watch Arsenal now, I don't want to sort of keep on about them, but you, they're relentless in the way that they're going at teams because they've got this confidence. They think they can, they can suffocate teams and that's what Newcastle are capable of now. Eddie Howe has given this group of players belief that they can take the fight to teams and and win whereas before it was about protecting and it was about let's let's not give too much away and we can maybe hit them on the counter they are so proactive now compared to before and this is why you know players like Amaron who need the ball to affect games that's why they've come to the fore he's playing for a manager that suits his strengths rather than uh, is worried about their their deficiencies brilliant well, that's going to be quite a match then. On Tuesday, as mentioned before, that Arsenal have Brighton that Saturday tea time. And Brighton, of course, 3-1 winners over this midweek away at Southampton, who appear to have one or two issues to resolve. Next up, ooh, let's mention Man City. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Live Score Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by LiveScore Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScore Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. is winding down for Christmas, the Athletics Club podcast are firing back up over the festive period to celebrate the return of domestic football. Catch Talk of the Devils, Handbrake Off, The Phil Hay Show and all your favourite club shows now that that World Cup nonsense is behind us. All are free to listen to, of course, on Apple, Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Still there, listener? Nice one. Adrian wants to talk about Man City and Erling Haaland. Away you go. Well, he scored more goals than Chelsea. That's all I want to say. I mean, that's that's incredible at this stage of the season. For a guy that, you know, lots of lots of people were saying he might take time to adjust to the Premier League. Well, yeah, that, that didn't happen, did it? 20 goals, much, much quicker than anybody else. I think Kevin Phillips was the mm. next closest. He did it in 21 matches, which was very, very good. Uh, but to do it in 14 is, 14 is astonishing, isn't it? And it's the kind of record that, that actually may never may never be broken. I mean, that, is, that is something very, very special. Football has peaked with Erling Haaland, says Adrian <laughs> Clark. It could have been more, could have been more, couldn't it, uh, midweek, had it not been for the extraordinary Melier. Yeah, I was about to say, like, every time I watch Haaland, I, I, I come away thinking he could have scored two more goals than he scored there, which is a baffling I mean, it proves firstly how brilliant his movement is, and secondly how brilliant Manchester City and how quickly Manchester City's players have worked out where he will be. That the goal, the, the Grealish pass, the pullback—they're the sort of goals that look incredibly simple, but the ball has been played within about three or four inches of a defender, just onto his foot, and he didn't even have to break stride. And I know Melier got a touch on that one, but if, if you're already working that out after an international break, where Grealish has basically been doing this kind of Home Alone in New Home Alone 2 in New York City sort of ma- magical mystery tour over the last week and then suddenly comes back and clicks with Haaland that quickly is, yeah, it's pretty worrying for everyone else. And I missed the details on, on Grealish's Home Alone New York mystery tour. What? He was given some time off by Manchester City and, and chose to use it by going to New York and suddenly he seemed to have this realisation that that's where most of Home Alone 2 was filmed. So, like, his Instagram was just full of him, like, I'm Kevin McAllister in the park, here's me outside the Plaza Hotel where Kevin McAllister had all his ice cream in bed. and Right, and met Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he didn't, yeah. thankfully, yeah. yeah. Um, no, he did. Oh, did he? Oh, no, he didn't meet, but Kevin McAllister did. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, wow, that's quite the thing. It was very wholesome, James. It was, yeah, it was right. very pure. Okay. Meanwhile, Callum Phillips was also having a week off. Yeah, maybe too much ice cream in bed in the Plaza Hotel. Exactly. Was that... But then he... He was in America as well for the portions. (laughs) (laughs) He featured in this game, though, Calvin Phillips, much to everyone's surprise. Was this because Man City had finally found a big enough pair of shorts for him, a la Razor Ruddock? Harsh. Um, Yeah, I, I, I feel for Calvin Phillips a bit because what happens is that Pep Guardiola is an incredibly controlling manager and a perfectionist. And... He says that Calvin Phillips has come back overweight. And we all, and I look down at my own stomach, have different kind of measures of what overweight means. For a footballer, that means he's come back like, I mean, we're talking like some grams or much less than a kilogram overweight. And it sort of produces this look of that he's like Jim Royal of the, in the royal family, kind of <laughs> sat on his sofa scratching his ass. Like, that isn't how it is. So I, I suspect he, he brought him on almost to say, I think he stitched him up, basically. I think it was a kind of accidental stitch up. I don't think Guardiola was right. trying to hang him out to dry, but I'm glad he was back. Razor Ruddock also needed uh, a stitch up uh, with that shorts business. You remember that he... Well, he was at Swindon and, and they kept tearing. He said, there is no give in the shorts and you cannot move properly. And, well, I don't think they actually ever split, but he said he wouldn't wear them because he didn't want them to rip apart in front of thousands of people or whoever had come to the Swindon game. And uh, that- Can you imagine if he played in the 80s, James, when, when shorts were actually tight? I mean, everything was so, so baggy. This was noughties. They had to con- specially construct shorts. Just, I mean, this is a true story in that. So they had to specially construct shorts for, for, for Neil Ruddock. 
when he was player coach there. I don't know why I mentioned this now. It came up over this Calvin Phillips. Uh, delighted to see that Calvin Phillips has anyway made weight and featured in that game for Man City. Leeds remain like teams like West Ham and Everton and Bournemouth as well. Dangerously close to the bottom three. Basically, you've got Wolves, Forest and Saints down in the relegation spots. And then above them, West Ham and Everton are only one point above with Bournemouth and Leeds pretty close as well. Leeds, Man City, it was a great game to highlight what a lot of the teams are missing. Because when you look at Leeds and their approach to this game, there's a lot that you couldn't really criticise. You know, I think at times... It was high tempo, they were pressing in numbers, it was quite fluid, but then it would all break down with the final phase. And with Man City, it's the final phase where they are just unstoppable. So it goes to show just the value of a striker, you know, why we pay so much for them. It is a a big conundrum for a lot of teams in the Premier League at the moment who, who need to get that striker that's on 15 plus goals. And then you're looking at Haaland who's on 20 after 14, just to rub salt into wounds. Yeah, Man City, their finest fluid attack on Wednesday night, of course, was when Pep kicked a bottle at somebody on the... the, the Who was it? I don't know. We never saw who it hit. Does anyone know? Was it a little bit like the the Fergie and David Beckham? Are we going to see one of the Man City stars (laughs) with with a... a, I think it was the Leeds bench, though, was it not, that he struck? Was it Leeds? It was good how... I really enjoyed how quickly he ran over the guy. It was, mm. it was very kind of playground. I know I shouldn't have done that. Please don't tell a teacher. Uh, <laughs> straight over to him. So, um, well, let's have a word about the situation at the bottom because as I mentioned before, worryingly for teams like Bournemouth, Leeds, West Ham and Everton, Everton who face Man City next time, having, I think, lost their last 10 meetings uh, with the citizens. But worryingly for all those sides... There's this team in 18th spot who are showing real signs of life. Uh, Wolves. Who can we get to talk about Wolves under Lopetegui? Let's see. It's not a worrying thing, James. It's certainly not worrying. Uh, well, let's talk about Wolves then. Two wins out of two, Lindsay, since uh, Lopetegui took mm-hmm. over. And I thought that this game was crucial. Um, everyone was talking about Everton. Well, this game being, just, just, just to say, yeah, they were at Everton and uh, they came from behind to win 2-1. Yeah, and, and everyone going into this one was talking about how important it was for Everton to get get three points and for, for Frank Lampard, who I'm sure everyone's thinking now is under under pressure. I honestly thought that this was more important for Wolves. And Everton fans, I'm, I'm sure, will think, oh, hang on a second, no, we really needed this. But actually... I think coming back, having such a, a torrid start to the season, having that new manager already in place, and who knows for Everton that could be coming, you need to start well. And it was just about breeding some confidence back into the squad because if they'd have lost that, I think it's a hard way back. And of course, there's still so far to go in this season, but I, I do think that confidence plays a huge part in the runs that teams can go on so by not only by winning this but by coming back from a goal down I think that does Wolves the world of good so it was Yerry Mina who opened the scoring yeah and Uh, Yerry Mina makes a huge difference for Everton hmm. we we all know that when he's in the side from a Wolves perspective I didn't think it was great marking for him to get that header but he does what he does what a lovely equaliser though from Wolves you were mentioning before the teams down the bottom needing that 15-goal a, a, a season striker, is is that somebody that Wolves possess? And if they don't, does it matter when they can produce moments like that with Machinio doing that, that wonderful kind of... Was it outside of his boot lob? Yeah, it was beautifully weighted as well, that ball. I do think that Wolves need at least a 10-plus goal striker. I do think that if they have the ability to tighten up, which they have shown last season, they didn't let many goals in and they'd go on and win 1-0. If they can get back to being like that, then they maybe don't need to score as many goals as we think. But let's not kid ourselves. You know, the way that this season is panning out, there are so many goals that are being scored. We aren't seeing too many clean sheets. I think it is important that that Wolves get some firepower in this January. We haven't really seen from Diego Costa anything like the promise that that he showed at the end of his time at Chelsea. So, yeah. Hands up. Who'd forgotten that Diego Costa had gone to Wolves? I've got my hand up. I completely forgot that. But Ait Nori, who scored the winner in this one, 
suddenly all the rumours afterwards are that Juventus want to take Aitnori. I think that would be so silly from a Wolves perspective to take a, a player that's suddenly playing in this more advanced position. Aitnori's never had the freedom that he's had under Lopetegui and that we've seen in the last couple of matches. And it is bearing fruit. You know, we're not missing. I mean, another one, put your hand up, Pedro Neto. You know, we know that he is such a an important talent for Wolves, but he's been missing through injury for so long, you sort of forget that you've got him. And so there are quite a few players that needed replacing. Cunha has obviously come in. And I did want to speak about that because I think under Diego Simeone at Atletico Madrid, I was speaking to friend of the show, Natalie Gedra, about him mm-hmm. at Brentford at the weekend. And I have been reassured because his goal scoring figures are not great. And I was thinking, well, that's the one thing that Wolves need. But under under the restraint of Simeone and playing in that Atletico Madrid style, um, I am given encouragement that he will bear better at Wolves. So so let's see. But, you know, the, there is business being done. The eight Nori, you think that the big story for um, the Gazetta this morning was not, not, uh, not eight Nori, but... Um, McAllister saying, I want to go to Juve. That's not Kevin McAllister, but um, <laughs> Alexis McAllister, the Brighton one. I feel like that man might have an agent who is <laughs> suddenly a bit busier than he was a month ago. Yeah. Uh, and you might see a few of those in various European mm. newspapers, yeah. yeah. All right. How much trouble are Everton in, Adrian? A lot. A lot because they can't score goals. They need Calvert-Lewin fits. They need Cavett-Lewin firing. Look at the record. In 14 of their 16 games, they've either blanked or scored one goal. So twice out of 16, they've got they've got two goals or more. You're not going to win very many matches if you don't score two goals. So so that's a problem, losing way too many. And, and I think that the issue is, what, what are Everton under Lampard? I, I, I don't know. They look lacklustre. They don't have a clear way of playing. Sometimes they're too cautious. Sometimes they're too gung-ho. They look a little bit lost at times. I think if if there is a team that's sort of treading water at the moment and, and looking for, for direction, I'd say it's Everton. Lampard needs a big performance over Christmas and New Year. He needs it more more than any other manager, I think, in the Premier League. They, they look lost at the moment. How much time do you think he's going to be given? Not much, I don't think. I mean, the the one thing that Lampard had when he arrived at Everton is this kind of rush of goodwill from supporters, partly because he wasn't Rafa Benitez, partly because they desperately needed this to work out. And he's lost all of that from, from what you saw of the atmosphere at Goodison at full time. And to be honest, even when it was still one all and Everton looked completely short of ideas. Adrian's absolutely right. It's that same old Frank Lampard problem of like, his side struggle to score goals other than by just pushing extra men forward and therefore risk getting caught out on the counter. And that's exactly what happened. And yeah, it was kind of vitriolic at full time. And I think it comes down to Everton were on a, a pretty decent run and then he made nine or 10 changes for the League Cup game away at Bournemouth. They got battered in that. It hit the confidence. They then got battered again by Bournemouth in the league, having brought all the players back in and they haven't won right. since. And, and yeah, there, there they are, the sort of moments, you know, without being hyperbolic, that can completely change seasons because Everton haven't won a trophy. They want, they got into a stage where you can beat Bournemouth away and you've got a shot at winning a trophy. And he gave that up and, and it seemed to have sapped all the energy out of the club. Everton away at Man City on Saturday. And as I say, they've lost their last 10 meetings against Pep's side. Yikes. As for Wolves, who have you got next, Lindsay? Man United. Man United, there you go. And I hate playing Man United. Man United, who can't afford a new striker or roof, but did just beat Nottingham Forest 3 0. Yeah, they'll do that. Yeah? <laughs> they, they will do that if you play Nottingham Forest at home. It is it's currently it is the, the free shot of the Premier League playing a home game against Forest. And having lambasted Lampard. He also failed to beat Forrest at home, which is the biggest black mark probably in his book this season. Because, yeah, there's something about Forrest whereby the atmosphere at the city ground is brilliant and it seems to energise the players. And their home performances have been excellent. You know, beating Liverpool, they've beaten Crystal Palace, they've beaten West Ham. But away from home, they just look broken. Like, Forrest have these two things that have basically haunted them all season. One is being really timid in the first 20 minutes of games, or sometimes even the first half of games, and sometimes the first 90 minutes of games. 
And they also can see goals in these really annoying clusters. And they did it again, two goals in four minutes. And they just seem to switch off. And then when they switch off, they can't switch back on again. And they will go down if they don't improve that away record. More, certainly. I like Yates' performance. I thought I thought he was really Yatesy, good. Yatesy for England, Lindsay. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think I like Casemiro's performance more. Right. Yeah. What, what about United? Do they need a forward? And uh, what, what could you tell us about their, their performance? And they, is it another step on this kind of upward curve under Ten Hag? I think so. I mean, Lindsay's right to pick out Casemiro, who I think is probably the form player in the Premier League at the moment, which maybe in a kind of non-Erling Haaland list, because he's settled in so, so quickly. And he just gives them a complete... I like Fred. He's fun to watch. But Casemiro is the opposite of Fred, even though they both play in the same national team, because... Casemiro kind of just seems to bring this serenity to everyone around him, whereas Fred seems to make it look everyone look jumpy. And that can work if what you need is a bit of energy and endeavour and, and gusto. But to beat teams below, below you in the table at home, you just need to be serene and calm because you've got better players. You just need to get them in the space. And yeah, he just makes the whole game tick. He's, he's a joy to watch. What I'd say about Casemiro is that he allows Manchester United or Ten Hag to get an extra attacking player onto the pitch. He can afford to put Eriksen next to him in central midfield. And we know he can play there, but he's got his limitations defensively because Casemiro does the work of two without the ball, doesn't he? He's, he's proactive in winning it and he's a very good cover player as well. And you could probably look at Arsenal with Thomas Partey and say that's the same situation. Arsenal can afford to push Xhaka and Erdegaard on. You can look at Man City with Rodri. He can play two really attacking players next to him because he's a, he's a monster in that position. You know, these are three absolutely integral players in their teams. And uh, yeah, Casemiro has made such a difference to Manchester United. I think for any team that are wanting to play counter-attacking football against Man United, they're going to have to rethink. So if that is, is a goal when you go up against Man United now, I think Casemiro is so good that he just takes out that threat. I was playing the game of trying to work out, OK, if there's a break now down the right flank, which which happened with Forrest on a few occasions, you've got those breaks, Daniel. And, and I was thinking, right, let's wait three, two, what, there he is, <laughs> sweeps in clears the ball it's a joke how good he is it, it actually is and I just don't think you can play that sort of breakaway counter-attacking football against Man United anymore when he's in the side so what are Wolves going to do this weekend Lindsay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they'll try and play counter-attacking football probably James and get done um right. I think as well you look at midfield which I think is where we've got most of our talent and I think Manchester United's is better now and that's always been the undoing. You know, I, I remember Scott McTominay scoring a, a goal from outside the box. So even when everything else wasn't working, they were looking to their midfield. And that was when it was a midfield of Fred and McTominay and they were getting ridiculed nearly every other week. This is different. I just think Manchester United will have too much now. But if we're going to do anything, I think it's probably using the width. I think it's using eight nor in that advanced role. Yeah, well, well, we'll see. When is that game, actually? Saturday, 12.30, I think. Is that right? New Year's Eve. Well, loads more to discuss, including Liverpool's early transfer business and, oh yeah, Brentford Spurs. And other bits too after this. We're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Listen, the clock is ticking, quite a dramatic fashion, on the Athletic's special 12-month subscription deal, Ooh, uh, which would involve you paying just £1 a month for full access to the Athletic, but only if you sign up before New Year's Day. So you have until midnight on the 31st, duh. That's UK time. So if you're listening in the States, where it'll be $1 a month, I read. Jeepers. All right, let's get back to the Premier League action. Lindsay was mentioning Wolves picking up uh, Matez Cunha from Atletico Madrid on loan. They announced that on Christmas Day. Interesting bit of timing. Thunder stolen, though, perhaps in transfer terms at least, by the arrival of another anointed one, Cody Gakpo. Last season's Dutch Footballer of the Year, who Liverpool have picked up. Well, I mean, I could say a number here, but then there's other numbers. And I mean, the total fee could rise to 50 million. It's still about half what Man United are paying for Anthony, I, I believe. Is that fair? Seems cheap as a result. Yeah, and, and it does seem cheap. And I think that's why they've gone in, because not obviously do Liverpool need another forward. They have now got Gakpo. Salah, Firmino, Jota, Luis Diaz, Darwin Nunes, Fabio Carvalho. Yeah, they've got about eight forwards for three, maybe three and a half positions. Um, that means Oxlade-Chamberlain's the... out, doesn't it, surely? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've not even mentioned Oxlade-Chamberlain. I've not even mentioned Harvey Elliott. Supposedly Diaz and, and Jota being injured now till March was the rationale yeah. for them. And perhaps exactly. the fact that they feel that uh, Nunes hasn't been quite the goal machine that they that, that his, his previous uh, record suggested. I think probably what it suggests is it nods to a, a post Mohamed Salah world, which isn't going to come yet for Liverpool, but it suggests they're going to try and build around a centre forward in Darwin Nunes and support him with two wingers rather than what's kind of happening at the moment, which is when Nunes is not quite on it or not in the team, then Salah's drifting very central to take the shots. I think it probably suggests that, but it's a it's a hugely long term plan because Salah's, Salah is very much back in form and as we say they've got seven or eight other options so it's a it's, there's a lot of luxury in that right. forward line now I think I think you're exactly right James it's it's the injuries plus the fee plus the fact that Liverpool have got a chance in the Champions League again with big ties elsewhere if they can get past Real Madrid then they can go and win the Champions League I think so yeah I think that all stacks up Adrian it sounded like it looked like you were gonna pitch in on Gakpo I do think Gakpo's a good player. He scores goals, he creates goals, physically strong. I think he would, he will settle in the Premier League, but it is a big step up from Eredivisie. We'll see. Over time, I think he'll, he'll make a difference. On Nunez, I still think even though he's not scoring goals, even though he's got the lowest conversion rate of anyone that's scored five this season, he still makes Liverpool a far more dangerous team. He is so quick so rapid that he, he frightens defenders and he, he cre- he's creating opportunities out of nowhere. It's easy to take the mickey out of him, keeps missing these 1v1s, but he's had more shots per 90 minutes than any other player in the Premier League. He's averaging 5.84 shots per 90 minutes, which isn't, it's some going. If he can sort out his finishing, then goals are going to flow. I know that there are Timo Werner vibes about him, but I still think that he's he's got a lot 
to offer Liverpool. Uh, even though at the moment he's probably more of a disruptive striker than a clinical marksman. So, um, yeah, I would still have Nunez and Salah in my team if I was Jurgen Klopp with one other. And and sometimes that, that would be Gakpo. Sometimes it would be one of the other guys. He could be eligible to make his debut at Brentford on Monday. Uh, we read, uh, coming off an extraordinary first half of the season, the era, Davizi is the leading scorer there with nine goals and also pitched in with 12 assists. Very versatile player, as we saw at the World Cup. Crikey. Liverpool, who just had a 3-1 win at Aston Villa, with Andy Robertson becoming the defender with the most assists in Premier League history. To much acclaim. Trent Alexander-Arnold, just a, a few... Wait, it's not far. Was he seven assists behind him or something, I think? 54 yeah, for two places behind yeah. him, yeah, in third. Uh, so that was all good. In other transfer news, has anything else been confirmed or is it on the brink of being confirmed? The, the Mudrick for Arsenal story, how far along are we with that, Adrian? <laughs> I don't know. You're asking the wrong person. I'm oh, always right. the last to know. On this I have got some other some other business. <laughs> oh, yes. It would it would link on to Brentford Spurs, so I don't know oh. if you're ready to go there yet. Yeah. I'm always ready for Brentford yeah. Spurs. <laughs> the business that was done was on Christmas Eve oh, yep. at Thomas Frank signing a four and a half year deal to stay at Brentford. Ooh. Um, and and I think that's maybe the move of the window. For, yeah, <laughs> or the non move. claim, the Lindsay. Bold claim. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think people would start circling. We've already spoken about uh, Frank Lampard, at Everton. So if you're Everton, I'm sure you're keeping an eye on managers like Thomas Frank. And I think Crystal Palace at the moment as well. You've got to think that Patrick Vieira is starting to look like he's under a bit of a bit of scrutiny as well. Chelsea so too. I think. It's yeah, Chelsea. You've got no, to actually kidding, think. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Chelsea, Chelsea have said, haven't they? If he doesn't deliver Champions League football at the end of the season, right? Then, then we could be looking at that. So to fix in Frank, mm. I think is really wise. Does this fix him in? Well, it makes it a huge payoff. If not, doesn't it? So okay. I think it's win-win for the club. This performance to start off all these festive fixtures. Uh-huh. I don't know how much we want to talk about Brentford. Because it was the same old from them. I mean, it was the same old from Spurs in some regards. But I feel like you want to dissect this Spurs performance even more. The fact that they cannot get going. They right. cannot start positively. You had the World Cup break. I would have thought if there was one thing that Antonio Conte was going to work on, it was a fast start. You know, we've had a month with all the players that I have had, although he was missing a lot. I think it was 12 that were at the World Cup. But you you look at the the squad and the performance and it was just another lacklustre 45 minutes. It had that reminiscence of before the break against Bournemouth. They were 2-0 down. They came back and won 3-2. On this occasion, they only managed to get back to 2-2. But I, I don't know, the bones of the squad, I feel like you should, you should actually throw Antonio Conte a couple of excuses I suppose Benton Kerr suspended for this one also got an injury Richarlison out he also gave a rest to Hugo Lloris Romero wasn't in the squad because he'd been celebrating too hard with Argentina by all accounts so there, there were some excuses mixed in with this but I would have thought if you were a Spurs fan you were just thinking geez like can we not just be this predictable every match Daniel, you had a bone to pick with Conte's uh, starting eleven, though I believe. Yeah, I just it just baffled me how I, I can understand and and player welfare in general is a massively underappreciated and under discussed topic, and it will only get worse as the amount of football increases, and and the governing bodies try and squeeze as much as they can out of footballers, but and so any player that feels like they now need a rest mentally or physically, I'm 100 percent on board with. But it did strike me as very odd that Spurs started Fraser Forster in goal and had Hugo Lloris on the bench. Because to be on the bench, you, you, you basically have to prepare for a game in the same way. And you could be brought on in the first minute. If Fraser Forster gets injured or is ill before kickoff or gets sent off, then you have to come on and play. So I assume that Conte thought that Lloris was you know, in, in good enough shape physically and mentally, to be on the bench and be prepared to come on in the first minute, but then not to start the game. And I think, ultimately, I think Hugo Lloris saves the first goal. I don't think he spills it behind him for for Brentford to take the lead. So just just a really odd decision. I, I, I'm not making any accusations. I'd just love to hear an explanation of why he thought Lloris, or, or Lloris thought he was fit enough to be on the bench. Right, and also why uh, Jafet Ganga 
uh, was 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 left there to try and deal with uh, Tony and whoever else was uh, pitching yeah. in. They, they targeted but, Tanganga, didn't they? Yeah. I think Ivan Tony was very clever, or Thomas Frank between them. He just sort of angled himself onto Tanganga, stood there, won pretty much every flick on, and and gave him a bit of a torrid time. I, I do think Spurs without the ball have got a lot of work to do. It's miraculous, to be honest, that they're in the top four, given given how bad they've been out of possession this season. I mean, such a reliance on on Kane. I mean, Haaland, Haaland's brilliance is overshadowing what what is a stellar season by Harry Kane, playing for a team that's not attacking very much and certainly not playing good football. He's get, I think he's got a goal every 109 minutes. I mean, that's his best return for five years, I think. So Harry Kane is 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 carrying not a great Spurs side at the minute. Meanwhile, for Brentford, and kind of similarly, given that only Holland and Kane have scored more Premier League goals than Ivan Tony this season, having done the transfer deal of the century in uh, keeping Thomas Frank there, at the GTEC Community Stadium, they now need to presumably Brentford go out and do another absolutely huge deal to find a replacement for Ivan Tony for when the suspension kicks in. But is that imminent? Is that kind of a matter of days now? Well, he, he has until New Year's Day, I believe, to respond to, to the charges. And after that point, there will be a period of time before they decide on the verdict. That may may take a while and it would clearly be in Brentford's interest to wait until the final moment to respond to those charges and to, you know, to, to see out the process in its full duration, so we say, because, yeah, the the suspicion is that it's going to be a fairly lengthy ban. Is there a precedent, uh, Daniel, in terms of length of ban? Well, jo- Joey Barton, Joey Barton was banned from football for 18 months. And now that was a, that was... Offences in the thousand, I think it was like 1,600, but it was over a decade period of time. Now that was, I don't remember, that came basically right at the end of Barton's career. I think if anything, it delayed his him becoming a manager more than it affected his playing career. How, how many offences are we talking about with Tony? Is it sort of two, three hundred? I think we're up to 260 or right. something like that, I think, yeah. The only other one in recent history is, is Daniel Sturridge, who was banned for, for six months. But that was a slightly different case in that he'd provided information on his own transfer. Well, as did, and we mentioned this last time, Kieran Trippier with yes. the Atletico yeah. move. Um, got so a this 10-game ban. This is different to that, I think. We we do not know the full extent of, <laughs> of what the bets were, whether it was just putting on a football bet. And those numbers sound massive, but it, it's basically, if, if, over the time period, it's one a week. I personally think, it would be a massive shift. I can fully understand why the rules are there and the rules are there and everyone knows the rules. But I think it's a massive shame for a player at the peak of his powers, having just missed out on a, a place at the World Cup and now has this for kind of historic offences. It, it seems a huge shame, but... Well, it, I mean, it is a shame, but there's a good reason why you don't want players betting on matches, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Anyway... There you go. So a bit of a headache in store there for Brentford, almost certainly. What are they doing this weekend? They're travelling to West Ham. Spurs, meantime, will be at Aston Villa. Lindsay, fresh from your trip to the GTEC Community Stadium. Sasha, you're going to be down the road, really. Not far, in West London terms. At Craven Cottage for Fulham against Saints. Yeah. Mm. And I started doing my research for this and I, I will put it out there. When Nathan Jones went to Southampton, I was rubbing my hands together as a Wolves fan when we were currently bottom of the table because I thought, oh, we've gone Lopetegui, they've gone Nathan Jones. And I think you've got to take all the gains that you can at that point when you're feeling so low. And I just don't think his record, although he he did brilliantly at Luton, I don't think we've got any example that he can do it in the Premier League. I think it was a risk a bold move to take. And then I started doing the research into this game, looking at the history. And this plays in perfectly, James, into my theory here, because for Fulham <laughs> against against Southampton, the last time that Nathan Jones was at Craven Cottage as a visiting manager, 7-0 Luton mm. were beaten. That was in May. So... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to stick up for my old mate here. This is this is this is outrageous. This uh, this slur oh, man, Adrian. on Nathan Jones. Um, he's only just got the gig, hasn't he? I yes. mean, look, yeah. I, I, well, I think let's Christmas. give him a chance, and and he's earned the job on merit because you know when when he took over at Luton, they were in League Two, 
you got to remember that. And then, and then, you know, last season they got. I to think the, the job that the he did at Luton playoffs. was brilliant, Adrian. But that's all he can be judged on ahead of ahead of this this move. Graham Potter, okay, he's a good example. Graham Potter hadn't. He could be judged on Stoke as well, to a degree, but. Graham Potter hadn't managed in the Premier League. He hadn't got promoted with Swansea. He'd played good football. He looked a good coach, but but Brighton took a punt on him and, and look where, where he is now. I think he has the credentials as a coach to be given the shot. Now, that's my opinion. And let's let's see how it pans out. He hasn't had the new manager bounce. That's disappointing. But Let's judge him in a few months' time. I think um, you know his track record suggests that he improves players, and that he will certainly improve the the spirit there at Southampton. Adrian, where where, where did your paths cross? At Southend United. Ah, we both signed at a similar time under Alvin Martin. And did he exhibit any particularly kind of intense? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he was he was a good mate of mine at the time. Like we we knocked around quite a bit. He loves football. He's just absolutely obsessed with football. Table tennis, not so much. No, he, he, he likes to burn table tennis. I think Carl Anker mentioned the fact that he'd, he'd insisted, because there was too much table tennis or ping pong being played at, was it Luton? He The table tennis table was taken to the middle of the pitch, chopped up and then burned. Um, he also mentioned <laughs> his habit of biting his nails to bloody stumps. Yeah, he, he, he is a nail biter, that is for sure. No, look, he's, a, he's a quirky character. He is intense, but he's a very likeable guy. And I think that the players will enjoy working with him and, and from what I gather, he is a very, very good coach on the training ground. And that is that is the modern way, isn't it? Managers tend to be excellent head coaches. He'll have a, he'll he'll develop a a clear and defined style of play. But no, he, he was a good teammate. He was a left back, I was a left winger. If he played left wing, I'd played right wing. So yeah, we, we often worked in tandem and uh I definitely wish him well. And uh yeah, I just think we should not judge too early, that's all. My issue with with this is I think he is a good coach and I think this is probably a good fit for him squad-wise in terms of the average age has been brought down massively. He's got kids to work with, but I worry that he's going to be better with that squad in a building situation rather than a saving situation. It's a tough gig to yeah. take over at this time and people are instantly going to say that he's out of his depth. They, they, it's just a natural reaction. Lindsay did it there. We've got Lopetegui, vastly experienced at the highest level. They've got Nathan Jones. It's, it's the natural assumption, but he couldn't turn it down. He just couldn't. No. He couldn't walk away from that challenge. Well, you say that, Adrian. Michael Beale turns balls down. <laughs> but it's a firefighter's role, Adrian. Whereas, of course, what he normally gets up to is the opposite. <laughs> exactly. No, exactly. But he couldn't. He couldn't walk away from the opportunity. Um, yeah, you could. You could maybe question Southampton's choice, and and I wouldn't. I wouldn't argue against that. But I just think now that he's in his post, let's um, let's give him a crack. Well, and it, it it does look, however you see it, like a pretty big game for him this Saturday, the one you're going to, Lindsay, away at mm. Fulham. What I would say is I think we will realise the job that Ralph Hasenhutl did for so long at Southampton. That's what I think. Okay. And, and you know, it's not to say that Nathan hasn't deserved this chance. I think he clearly has done a brilliant job at Luton and he is a good coach. I just think that there's a lot going on with this job and it is a bit being fed to the wolves. Right. I mean... Yeah. Uh, well, Fulham in this case, uh, Fulham who are having an absolutely brilliant time on their return to the Premier League and continued their fine form this week with a 3-0 victory away at Crystal Palace. It was 1-0 when Palace had a couple of players sent off, which had some bearing on it. But listening to uh, Pat Vieira afterwards, I think he felt that the problems went way deeper uh, than that. But that's, that's what Fulham do or managing to do. They are managing to identify very quickly the flaws in their op- their opponents and exploit them using, you know, Lindsay talked about teams lacking a striker, using one of the best strikers in the Premier League this season in, in Alexander Mitrovic. They're also great fun, Fulham. Like the, the, for the score this week, I looked at, because I thought they've scored three goals again, that seems like it's a familiar trait. Like Manchester City have scored three or more goals nine times a season. That's what they do. Arsenal have done so seven times and Newcastle have done it six but then then it's Fulham like promoted teams are not supposed to do this promoted teams are supposed to sort of try and be watchful try and nick games try and defend which to be fair is what Forest have done often unsuccessfully because of Mitrovic they've just gone Marco Silva's gone well go out and play go out and score goals Mitrovic and Tim Ream don't forget Tim Ream yes 
Yes, true. Guardiola's comment about Tim Reid. What did he say? I think he said something like, if you were 10 years younger, you'd be playing for me. (laughs) That's classic Pep. Classic Pep in that it's both a compliment to the person and to himself. 10 years younger and 10 pounds lighter, probably. (laughs) He scored his first goal in the Premier League at the tender age of 35. Curious stat, that's the 91st goal scored for Fulham by an American player excluding own goals, which is exactly the same number as all the other Premier League sides ever have had American goals. So that's Dempsey and McBride are the two yeah. big ones. Yeah, mm, Big. Anywho. I've watched Fulham more than, than most sides this season and I they've re- impressed me immensely. I think that they have, I would probably describe it as like a swell. They have a swell that they they go for an attack and everyone is committed and they also choose when they decide to do that, which is so astute. And I think Marco Silva deserves a lot of credit because he's he's managed to instill in them this ability to work out when to do it. And it works really well. And I don't know whether when you watch this against Southampton, you'll see it isn't constant. It's not like a constant press. They will just do it in waves. And it's brilliant to watch. They're kind of a Marcello Bielsa leads light. Um, and that's that's a compliment because they're not quite as chaotic. I mean, they have scored 27 goals and conceded 26. So they are quite like that Bielsa of we'll score more than you. And they will occasionally get thrashed because of that. But Mitrovic is just the absolute difference maker. He's just... it's, it's a classic case of a manager looking at his squad and thinking, well, we, we're better inside the other team's half than we are inside our own half. So that's the style of play we're going to be. We're going to take the fight to teams. We're going to be aggressive. We're going to be front foot. Because if we try and absorb loads of pressure, we're going to concede too, too many goals. So, um, yeah, full credit to Marco Silva. Brave. And um, and Fulham are getting their rewards. Well, Fulham up against Saints this weekend. The round actually started on Friday evening with two matches. West Ham against Brentford and Liverpool against Leicester. A little bit of uh, Brendan Rodgers back at um, Anfield and other storylines too. Oh, speaking of West London football, I notice we never mentioned Chelsea. Chelsea, who were 2-0 winners against Bournemouth. That question of how well, how much good the, the long break would have done Graham Potter in terms of being able to work with the side or the players that he had with him. How much good it would have done. A lot of positive responses. The the, the negative, though, being the injury again to Rhys James. Yeah, I, I thought it was a, a really convincing performance. Mason Mount looked brilliant. Raheem Sterling was involved from the off. I, I thought it was the sort of performance that should really lift Chelsea supporters now. I think that would give them some, some renewed confidence that they can make top four. But yeah, the the Reese James injury, you just you feel for a player like that because he's obviously missed the World Cup. He also went out when I think he was at the top of his form in whatever we've seen from him. And then this looks like it's going to be at least a month. There ha- there hasn't been a categoric statement to do with how long they expect him to be out, but the there are rumors it could be around a month. I think it could even be a bit longer than that. Chelsea currently a full six points off the top four, but with a game in hand on Spurs. What I liked about Chelsea was the lesser-spotted lesser Dennis Zakaria playing mm-hmm. in defensive midfielder, looking really, really good. He's he's actually the only Chelsea midfielder of their band of around 12 or 15 who's just a pure holding midfielder. And it really worked when Rhys James was in the team because it meant that Reese James could basically operate in the opposition half for the whole game and he could just sort of shuttle across and fill in. It, it obviously now makes less sense when Reese James isn't there, which is a shame. But yeah, I thought Zakari looked really good. He's had a very odd career over the last couple of years, obviously, like really highly rated. Went to Juventus, didn't really work out. An, a lone move to Chelsea, which was pretty odd. But he, he looked really, really good and kind of effective is in that fairly one dimensional. But what he does, he does very well with a minimum of fuss. Chelsea will next be in action on New Year's Day when they'll be at the city ground, Daniel. As will you, question mark? No, I'm not doing any live football until January the 3rd, which Ah. is making me itch because it just means I'm sat at home wanting to go to live football. I see. What are you seeing on the 3rd then? Uh, Leicester City, Fulham. So I'm easing my way into Premier League year. All right. Well, we will be back here on Monday with our thoughts on the New Year's Eve, New Year's Day action, all that stuff, and a brand new totally. 
And next week, actually, we kind of get back into our usual schedule. So Tuesday morning, the Euro crew will be around if you want to give that a listen. For now, though, that's it for today's show. Many thanks to Lindsay Hooper, uh, to Daniel Story and Adrian Clark, and you, listener, and special guest producer Steve Hankey. Have yourselves a very happy new year, everyone. Daniel? Thank you very much. Happy new year to everyone. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Sorry, Just you were waving go. your hand, but oh, I think sorry, it was actually no. scratch your nose. Yeah. I wondered if you wanted to say something. A special message, perhaps, for the listener. Here's your chance. No, I'm fine, thank you. All right, then. Okay, Clarky. Cheers, Lindsay. Bye, listener. See you in 2023. Woo! You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.